You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Around about 15, 16 months ago, not many had heard of an organization called Viceroy Research. Then came Steinhoff. We all know about Steinhoff. We've all heard about Steinhoff. And people were in uproar after the Steinhoff debacle unfolded about a company that dare sell stocks short and sell Steinhoff short, one presumed anyway. Even the South African Reserve Bank got involved with the governor calling Viceroy a hit squad. His Twitter handle is the Grand Poobah of Criminal Shorts. His name is Fraser Perring. He's talking to us from New York. He's the man behind Viceroy Research. Fraser, you seem to glory in your reputation because of the self-deprecating Twitter handle that you've adopted. Is that the case? <laughs> Pretty much. It, it saves the hassle or the, the suggestion of it. So anyone that knows Gilbert and Sullivan will know the grandeur of the Grand Poobah. So I, I can recommend reading up on it. It's quite amusing. I think what we need to do is go back because there's an awful lot of rubbish that's been written about you and about short selling as well. I mean, people, as I said, people up in arms about the fact that somebody could actually think that a security or a stock price could go down and therefore profit from it. But let's talk about Fraser Pairing and Viceroy right from the beginning, if you would. Indulge me. Oh, right. The In terms of initially we were anonymous and we we set about and the thesis was it wasn't so much anonymity doesn't give you any protection from a regulator it gives you protection from a distraction known as personalities and for us it was always about our research and as people know to distract from truth or situations of truth you have to focus on other things and by being anonymous, they couldn't distract from anything. And they could just, they had to focus on the research because there was no one to name call against, to be a distorter of markets, a manipulator of markets. And essentially, they had to take the text as it was. But the beauty of reporting, shall we say, our research, is that you can easily track it. So, We'd done research on TFS, which later went bankrupt in Australia. We'd done research on Caesar Stone in the US, which was a tabletop or countertop company where a lot of the customers weren't buying what the company said they were. So why would you want to own the stock? And no different to, shall we say, the analysts that publish, and I'm going to call it in some instances, an utter piece of crap. We're just giving our view, which essentially would be contrary. And that led us, we were doing work on um, Steinhoff and a number of other South African companies. And essentially, yeah, we get information. And then there was this big grandeur that would plagiarize nine points in our entire report. Some of those were because they came from the annual report. Others, because we were given information. But it's no different to an analyst phoning up a couple of com- customers or other analysts and going, what do you think on this? But apparently, for us, it's plagiarism. For every other analyst, it's part of business. 
So what you're saying um, is that the, what you're saying is the asset management industry is far too rigid in the way that it goes about its business and is far too trusting of the companies and the annual reports that you've just described. I mean, this is a very, very basic lead into what we're going to unravel in the next 10, 15 minutes or so. But are you saying then that the asset management industry, not just in South Africa, but in the world, is rather naive? Um, generally, there are some that are very astute, some that we drink with, some that we meet or have a quick chat with. Uh, prior to this call, I was on the phone with one savvy South African analyst, and he's hard pushed to come out with his opinion because his company wants to do business with a company that we're short. Hmm. So he can't come out with his opinion. So, yeah, there's, there's many conflicts. And uh, with Steinhoff, some of the hate mail that we got, I won't use their words, but essentially, I hope you die, would sum up 1,300 and something odd emails. Hmm. And the, the, the reality is, it's been proven. But we're not taking a short position for a day. And, you know... The criticism that we're out to distort the market to make a profit. Hang on. We take information that's public. We don't interview a couple of the directors on the quiet and take inside information and publicize it. All the information on Steinhoff was available to Tom, Dick and Harry, who wanted to go and spend a euro on some accounts in Switzerland or two euros in the UK and a dollar over here and this, that and other to get the information. Analysts should have been doing it. But remember this. Let's go back to the analysts. So the analysts need to do business somehow. So they need income. We understand that. That's called market forces. But how can you recommend a company that by shall we call it, what was it one director in South Africa called me? An unqualified monkey. Oh, yeah? Um, right. So one director, oh, yeah, he, he, in a restaurant, he, I was reliably informed because I was on the phone at the time, called me an unqualified monkey. So if I'm the unqualified monkey in the situation, I've got no accounting degree. Um, I understand accounts to a limited factor, and I, I always check. But if I can uncover multiple filings showing skullduggery inside of related party transactions, stacking up only to, what was it, 100 billion at the last count? Hmm. Being the monkey, I'm quite proud. Okay, just just let's go back a, a little bit here. The, the word monkey is very difficult to use in South Africa. I mean, when I was a child growing up in England, I would be called a naughty monkey if I did something naughty, but you can't say it. But I, uh, I will now qualify that for our South African listeners that monkey does not have any racial, racist overtones or undertones. So let's just... Uh, tell everybody that Fraser Pairing is not referring to anything but being naughty. Unqualified monkey. I was called by a client of mine when I was a private client broker in London. He said, Lindsay, and I can remember his words now, he was a farmer from Yorkshire. He said, Lindsay, I would have done better if I'd have given my money to a monkey on a stick. Now, I didn't know what a monkey on a stick was in those days, but there is a book called Monkey on a Stick, and I know what it means now. It meant that I was rubbish at, at what I did. Are you yeah. an... Un <laughs> That was a long introduction to my next question. Are you an unqualified monkey? Who is Fraser Pering? Right, um, Fraser Pering 
studied at uni social care, social law, psychology, went into social work, blew the whistle on the issue of management placing children with child abusers, known child abusers, thinking it was the right thing to do. Essentially, you proverbially got shot in the head for blowing the whistle. All the attention was on me. So I hadn't placed the children at risk, blah, blah, blah. But amazingly, I didn't actually consider that if you actually point the finger and go, this is wrong, people close ranks. Similar almost to analysts and companies within the market. And I've been interested in the markets for a long time. I wasn't naive to it. I was actually a crap investor for a number of years. And then all of a sudden, someone pointed out to me that essentially financial markets and companies are pretty much like social work. You have a father figure, a grandfather figure, and you have the related parties and the members, you know, the family members, the uncle. So in Steinhoff's case, you had the former CEO and CFO buying related party property and then inflating it and then it going back for an extra 100 million and things like that. So it sort of the overlap when I'd realized it was quite simple. To make the leap was more difficult. So on the one side, I'm I'm vested and minded in people, which makes it difficult as a short seller because you speak to people that you would love to jump on Twitter and go, such and such says this, validating our thesis. But it would expose them to abuse potential litigation. So you, my ethic thing is more about the, the little man. And generally, when we publish on companies, the same, the little man that's aggrieved or has been scorned or treated badly, generally approaches us. So we have to deal with that in two ways. The first is they might just be malicious and want to say anything that hurts the company. But we haven't found too much of that overall. And that's the same with Steinhoff in terms of the validation we've had and validation on other companies that we've been criticised because we believe they're a short. Now, you sort of know that in terms of you have specifically with Capitec, their argument that it was entirely flawed. If it's entirely flawed... Why did they change their model of risk that we reported on? It's on the website. Why did they change how many loans they gave? And why was it within three hours, the head of Saab or whoever can come out and have read our entire report not because they hadn't downloaded it at that point and say it's completely fake? And that's you come up against it. It's not it's not a a good business model in a way, because you have to fight not the critics, but the the level of justification. If we came out with a long report on Capitec, who's going to criticise us? So, you know, essentially, anyone with common sense. The same with Steinhoff. I suspect the stock would have gone up for a little while. But the reality doesn't change the company's own facts. Steinhoff? Very specifically, me as the, whatever you want to call it, the stupid person, uncovered a load of facts. And you do it in such a way that you can't believe what you're uncovering. And I suppose people would say with Capitec, 
unlike Steinhoff, you got it completely wrong, or rather the market got it completely wrong if you're on your side, because when you were talking about Capitec, the share price was in the 800s. And if you look at the closing price on Wednesday ahead of today's public holiday in South Africa, the closing price was 1,329, something like that. So it's gone up more than 50% since you started putting out your bearish pronunciations. So although you believe in your own mind that you're absolutely right and they were doing the wrong thing, the investment community said, we don't care, we love this stock. Um, very good point. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. I'm, I'm not going to dispute what it was when we published. 80, 90, it makes no difference. It's higher than when we published. Are we bearish on the company? Yeah, of course we are. It's a company that lends high-risk loans to people and you're in a country, sadly, that's suffering not only from electricity but employment issues as well. And everyone else is drowning around you. But this company is performing exceptionally well. Why is that? What is their secret source? Yeah. How do they stack up? So forgetting the investment analysts, we're somewhat validated because you speak to debt counsellors that go, yeah, we've seen it. They had loads of loans. Yeah, multiple loans, you name it. And so the reality, the company comes out and doesn't fund Intellidex, but from what the newspapers say, actually proposed it. And then they come up with, wow, it's surprising this and surprising that, and to almost discredit. And amazingly, the stock went up after Intellidex. Yay, we've beaten them. So they didn't beat them on financial performance. They missed on their latest results. Totally missed. And yet the stock's up. Why is the stock up? Who are the new investors? Amazingly, if you buy almost buying Capitec at the end of one day and sell it at the beginning of another, you can make profit. I encourage people to look at that and ask what that's about. Then you have the sponsor. And this is what Parliament needs to look into, not just with the analysts, but with the, the sponsor. You had PSG, which was the sponsor for Steinhoff. I'm reliably informed that one of the PSG directors sold their Steinhoff stock six months before Steinhoff collapsed. There's been no accountability for that in terms of how did they know? What were they selling it for? What was the fundamental reasoning? for selling, was it 7 million shares? And then you've got, amazingly, PSG also happened to be the sponsor for it. Who's the sponsor for Capitec? No conspiracy theory here. And amazingly, they own 30% of Capitec, or 20, or they're the largest shareholder. And so you've got this, not whether it's concert party or whatever it is, So they're determined, and that was proven with the Intellidex report, they're determined to discredit on the basis that they must win at all costs. There's nothing nothing wrong with someone selling a share for whatever reason. He may need to pay some hospital bills or she may need to build a new wing on a mansion in Stellenbosch or something like that. when (laughs) When it comes to short selling, though, the criticism that has been levelled against you is that you compile a report, you gain a reputation, 
just before the report comes out, you start short selling, and then the report comes out and the stock falls quickly and you buy back. This is the allegation. Tell us the truth, please. <laughs> we can be short the stock well before any publication, and generally are. It's not a case of quick whop it on and then get it off. You'd absolutely be nuts to do that because eventually people would go, hang on a minute, what are you really doing? Right? The facts may be right, but the trading side of it, luckily we do not communicate publication date. Yes. We do not do this. And so we, we do what every analyst does when they come out with a pump note. Oops, I mean a long report. Mm. Yeah, where they've got a target price of X. But are there clients in it or are there clients buying after the report? I suspect they're in it before, but we're criticised for it. No, I can tell you something now that having worked with the South African asset management industry, that it is the duty of the asset management industry to form an opinion inform their yeah. clients first and then put it out to the public. I don't think, I hope, they do not seek gain from putting the report out and then boosting the stock by 10%. But they do have a duty to their clients because their clients pay their pay their wages, exactly. if you see what I mean. So, so there's, so, so, I, I don't think there's anything sinister there, and I don't think anyone's breaking any laws. But, of course, there is a fine line. Yeah, exactly. And the, the line is there with us the same. And people assume that, I mean, we were short Steinhoff long after. I think we still are, which is scary. It's 183, um, but, so you must be doing quite well because it got to, I think, 209, 210 after okay. the forensic report came out and everyone thought, well, now we know what's going on. Maybe we can unlock the true value of this thing. But, of course, no. I mean, it's worth nothing. No. Uh, it's, it's worth, I don't know what it's worth. I'm not clever it, enough. It, but it, it's worth it's less. It's got little value, mm. yeah. Um, but the same goes in terms of, so if you look at our research and we speak generally, we take company information and we test the veracity of that information. We look at competitors. So take Steinhoff, retail per se was drowning and they're buying mattress firm. For what was it, 109% premium yeah. on a company, right? Bear in mind, so on a company that doesn't have one store strategically placed. I'm looking out my window in New York now, and you can see, I reckon, within a few blocks, there were, it's changing, right? There were three or four mattress firms. How many shops do you need to sell a mattress, especially with it going online? So they paid 100% premium for God knows what, which is oversaturated and highly competitive. And then you've got other companies, the same with Capitec, other companies are reporting defaults. But amazingly, they have two auditors stick with a standard procedure of reporting and have risk controls so that if someone goes into default on a loan, if they start repaying the loan, they can't increase the leverage of that loan for X days or months afterwards. Common sense. It's almost like how you treat your kids. You know, if they do, you know, if they aren't doing it right, you withhold things. A consequence to it. But amazingly, we weren't seeing the same with them. Likewise, we weren't seeing the same with Steinhoff in terms of 
they were buying into sectors that you should be running away from. And scarily, you saw that with, I think it was Poundland as well. You know, they were under pressure margins, cost-wise, lease-wise, you name it. The UK Poundland you're talking about, of course. Yes, yes, yes. And they went and bought that. So then when all the crap hits the fan, all of a sudden it unwinds at great speed. But perhaps, and this is where, shall we say, the connections, and this is where we perhaps misjudged normal market forces, unless people come out without reading a report and go, hey, there's nothing up with this company, it's entirely honest. I know they lend into the high-risk sector, but there's nothing up with them and everyone else is defaulting, but these are doing great then natural market forces may apply. But it was quite clear that phone calls were being made in the background. We were were tipped off to a number of them where one of the directors of the company went and publicly visited stores because that's going to validate. Yeah, there's nothing to see here. I've asked staff members. Guess what? We've asked staff members and we've got on record a number of debt counsellors that say how things are doing, but we didn't just go and visit a shop. We're accused of manipulating the, the market by limiting what we look at, but I don't go and visit a shop and declare my entire company healthy and then refuse to appoint a second auditor like every other bank in South Africa. I don't want to focus too much on Steinhoff because that's that's old news now and well done yeah. on that if indeed you were one of the first whistleblowers on this giant Ponzi scheme, as it's been called. I don't want to focus too much on Capitec. Mm -hmm. If you go to any rural town in South Africa on a Saturday morning, you will see a queue of people at the Capitec ATM. It's either that the big four banks, the so-called big four, have not served the poor, uh, relatively poor in South Africa very well, and therefore Capitec has taken advantage of that, or there is something, something wrong because the South African economy does not sustain a business that keeps on signing up 100,000 new people every month. Uh, the jury is out on Capitec. What I want to ask you now is a much more interesting question. The universe of stocks that are overvalued for whatever reason it is that you identify, how big is that universe? And when you look at South Africa and you look at what has happened since Steinoff, there's maybe a dozen companies that have met their demise. Breit, EOH, MTN, Aspen, Tonga, Hewlett, Resilient, Stable, etc. It seems to me that what you have done, inadvertently probably, is opened a hornet's nest, a Pandora's box, whatever you want to call it, and South Africa's corporate governance and boardrooms are not rotten, but they're certainly not very healthy. You've got, we're looking at a company at the moment in South Africa, And in a certain jurisdiction, a judge calls the directors, are you ready for this? Yes. Fraudsters. Okay. Right? Now, hang on. Wait there. It's a judge. There's a court case going on. And in the transcripts that we've obtained, and they're publicly available, he calls them fraudsters. Now, why haven't they reported that to their investors? Why haven't they reported the relevance of court cases? You know, this is ongoing. And what's up with saying to your investors, look, it's a highly charged situation. There's some mudslinging, like people do. 
And we encourage you to make your mind up so that you can at least assume your own price discovery and risk. And that seems to be the key more so, I think, in South Africa than most other exchanges where people aren't prepared, are not prepared to just open the door and say it as it is. What's up with saying we've screwed up here? What's up with saying, yeah, our defaults were not quite right? Or, hang on, how we were charging our interest was well above what everyone else was, whoopsie. Because it's not, you know, bring it to light. Should we contact a company before? No, because essentially who comes out with their hands up? Even in the, the debacle that's going on with the companies that are unwinding, it seems to be encouraged that everyone deny everything. Maybe it'll be pinned on one person. So it's almost like the directors are betting it's not them. As long as no one speaks out, we're all right. Do you find in so, you, do you think in, in South Africa this behaviour is more prevalent than it is in other geographies, other jurisdictions in which you ply your trade, in which you have targeted your research? Do you think South Africans are more uh, lend themselves to bending the rules a little bit? Let me put it nicely. I, I, I don't know whether they're more inclined. What I do know is these connected individuals that seem to run various entities, which if as an investor, if I could spend the time and was on the ground and only investing in South Africa, I'd be running away from. Because it's we're, we're learning South Africa from a, a good grounding you know, I've got family in South Africa, and most South Africans are good individuals. And then you have ones yes. that, are, that bend the rules and in the corporate governance world that are very well connected, that jump on the phone to shout their innocence at the first, rather than actually go, we've looked at this. And quite frankly, yeah, there's something here. We've, we've never hidden the fact that we do this. We think that their view on the valuation is entirely wrong. And let market forces, rather than this um, manipulation, and I have to ask, when we looked at one company, how the hell or who the hell was buying the stock? We were asking around, and the share registry wasn't changing much. You know, there was a few new named shareholders, a few exited. Normal market forces. But the stock had rallied something like 30% for no good reason. The fundamentals of South Africa, sadly, I'd, I'd love to see it as success. At the moment, they're teetering on a crisis which is going to be propelled if they don't sort out an energy situation. And yet you have some companies operating specifically in South Africa that are allegedly going great guns. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into societal problems, but I do think that before we move on to more corporate specifics, I do think that there's a problem from the bottom right up to the top and from the top right down to the bottom. You will be driving along in South Africa and someone will throw a Coca-Cola tin out of his or her vehicle. And that tells me something. And then right at the top, of course, the previous political dispensation led by Mr. Zuma and his, his cohorts 
really just said to everybody, you can do what you like because we're doing what we like. And so, of course, there are some corporates that say, well, if everyone else is doing it, right, from the person in the car to the person who's running the country, if they can get away with it, then why shouldn't we? Maybe I'm being a little bit too simplistic, but it just seems to me that that has happened. And we need a good enema in South Africa, a really good clean-out. You're quite possibly right. The the cycle in which you have long-standing directors playing companies, historically speaking, and I'll speak of a US company to give you an example. Okay. We published on MyMedx on the 20th of September, um, 20 Brainwork 17, a complete fraud. And I can state that they've tried to sue me and then they retracted it. Every single thing was up with the company, but amazingly, it had one of the commonalities that we like to look for, long-standing directors. Doesn't mean a company's a fraud. Sometimes it's a damn good thing. But then if you can look at certain issues with it, right? So long-standing directors, loads of allegations flying about about how they make their money. Let's have a deeper look. All of a sudden, you find court cases, like we did on companies in South Africa, accusing them of whatever. So you're starting to see smoke. And with my MedEx, there was, I think at our last count, 147 incidences of wrongdoing that we found. And it was only after our publication that all of a sudden the DOJ are arresting doctors and various bits. And that's, shall we say, normal market forces. And if it doesn't happen, your analogy about a good clear-out will never happen because people won't sharpen their act. And the very, shall we say, accountability, these, these various things that if you look at in terms of the disasters that are happening in South Africa in terms of corporate corporation-wise, the, the main thing is why are certain people that, generally come out and raise concern early on, ridiculed. We know of one person to do with Steinhoff that we interviewed that was pretty much laughed at because they thought it was, quote, unquote, a complete fraud. We hadn't got that far, so we couldn't assume that, and we didn't just take their word for it. And then you've got other people that promote this corporation shall we say, management technique, where we buy because the directors are very defensive and essentially, as long as we keep on buying, it's all good. So what happens when the party stops? Who's left holding the baby? And that's where, particularly with one of the disasters we had to look at, we were short and didn't publish on. It seems that some of the funds seem to be left holding the baby and that includes the PIC, and I won't pick on the PIC directly. They've got their own issues. But essentially speaking, what level of due diligence are South Africans doing with their own money? Mm. Because if no one will clean them out, if no one will actually say they're very valid points, they might not be right, but I think we need to have a closer look. So someone sent me some documents today on a company that looks okay. Would I buy the stock? I haven't got a clue. But I won't make that decision until I've had a closer look. 
Um, but the reality is people aren't prepared to be objective in seeing the contrarian view or things that highlight some of the issues. And we found that we found that with such things as the overlap with brainwork, the overlap of directors before and after that had left Steinhoff and gone to work in related entities. And people had gone to work for PE funds after they'd worked with a company. So, they, you know, it was almost like enriching themselves. South Africa, if it doesn't have a clean out in terms of disclosure, in terms of how directors are on rotation, then essentially speaking, there's going to be a longer term problem because all it does is it blows up or it puts at risk good people's jobs that could have been offset by, we're going to stop this now. We found some wrongdoing. And big companies do it all the time. We're restating this. It's not going to impact us too much. The stock drops, and we're going to get on with running it properly. How many of that is happening, or how much of that is happening in South Africa? I don't see much. It's always, when the bad news hits, it's row after row. Yeah, it really is. And, and since Steinhoff, as I said, I reeled off a list of companies earlier on in the in the conversation. Now, when is the next Steinhoff coming? Is there another Steinhoff in South Africa? Have you exhausted your universe of shorting in South Africa? And are you targeting other areas, the United States? I mean, it must be rich pickings for you when you get the formula right. You say, right, this is the company. This is what happened with the company that we were successful with in shorting. Now I can see exactly the same pattern in another company. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of those companies, I would imagine. It must be very difficult for you to choose. But let's stay with South Africa. Is there another Steinhoff waiting in the wings? I think you're going to have price discovery on a number of companies, some that we won't be publishing on. But I think if you look at them closely, you would be certainly raising questions. There's one company that I've alluded to where the jurisdiction in which their legal proceedings are taking place I'm, I'm amazed anyone's holding the hand grenade. And it's, it, 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 it's you, I, I was listening to one of their calls and they sound like normal directors. And then when you go away and read their court proceedings, um, you go, hang on, wait there, where did they mention it? And it's, I'm not just talking one or two million. And they floated stories, changed the story, I think we'd calculated seven or eight times in just over 18 months. And yet they persist. And we were speaking to a broker that believes they're the second coming. <laughs> and you, you mystify, And you say things like, and they go, oh, Fraser, you're always negative. You're too skeptical. So you ask, have you ever looked into the jurisdictions they operate in? You know, the other continents and things. Oh, no, it's in the accounts. Really? Because when you go and check, whoops, where's that entity gone? It's crazy. Okay, let's finish this up now. Are you making money, Fraser? Is Viceroy Research making money? I don't need numbers. I, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I, well, you're, you're in New York, which isn't the cheapest place to live. So, so you're making money and you're telling yeah. the truth. Are you telling us the truth? Okay. 
I can disappoint people by telling the truth. I don't need to lie to them to disappoint them. Yeah, the, the, that's the irony. And what's next? Is it South Africa or is it something else? Are you about to unleash a bombshell? You don't have to give me specifics or times. You can't do that. But is there something? Is there something for me to look forward to? Yes, very much so. We're always spinning plates of research. We generally accept um, when we're going through research, some don't give us the same level of conviction, and I, it, that's pretty much how we are. We like to focus on our conviction. So there's a South African story about to break, or not about to break. But not, no, 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 no it, it could, the level of due diligence we're doing, but I'm, I'm also minded to make sure it's clearer, is, is the, the best way. Uh, maybe people aren't, maybe they're too long, maybe they need actually putting out on a regular basis of four pages in a series and things like that. The attitude in South Africa is one of the alleged short and distort. There's clearly something up if we know what's going on, we're validated by the economics just on a macro level to do with South Africa, and yet people aren't acknowledging it. So let's see what let's see how it goes. Maybe we're learning and in terms of how information not is put forward, but is explained. Maybe we have to put it on a layman's term. We, we always thought we did. So we've got learning curves on that side. So we're in no rush because if we believe in the company, we're currently short the company. Yeah. So there's no rush because if, we're, if our thesis is validated, it's going to come about anyway. We'll leave it at that. Fraser Pering, thank you very much yeah. for your time and your extended time. Fraser Pering is from Viceroy Research and he's been talking to us from New York. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za.